It would totally transform the landscape of North America if every place that you went, you were able to like really get a sense mm -hmm. of what the deep history yeah. of that place is about. And it's actually uh, through place-based knowledge that language can help us to really understand the deep history of those places. Yeah. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. In our first episode of Season 3, we speak with Dr. Jolene Rickert, Director of the American Indian and Indigenous Studies Program about the United Nations 2019 International Year of Indigenous Languages. Welcome to a new season of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. We hope 2019 was off to a good start for all our listeners. Speaking of 2019, we will kick off our third season of our podcast by talking about the 2019 International Year of Indigenous Languages. My colleague Jolene Rickard is here in the studio with me. Dr. Rickard is Associate Professor in the Department of History of Art and Visual Studies and also the Director of the American Indian and Indigenous Studies Program. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Jolene. Good morning. So nice to have you here. And I am so excited to be talking to you, not only about the program that you run here on campus, but also about this um, International Year of Indigenous Languages. So before we dive into this topic, could you please share with our listeners a little bit about your own background, um, the research that you do and the work that you do here on campus? Absolutely. Uh, I'm uh, from the Tuscarora Nation. Uh, so in our own way, when we greet each other, we would say Chwant Askanaha in our own language. Mm -hmm. And uh, here at Cornell, I do wear multiple hats, including one, I think of myself as a, and practice as a visual historian, having done both curatorial and archival work around indigenous art. Uh, but I'm also committed to the uh, promotion, development, and support, enrichment for Indigenous students and the topic of indigeneity here at Cornell through the American Indian and Indigenous Studies Program. The uh, program actually has a very rich history. Mm -hmm. It's uh, We're coming up on a 40th year anniversary. Oh, nice. Although uh, Cornell has over a 100-year relationship to uh, Haudenosaunee territories. Hmm. So just a Introduction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Um, so why is the work that you do within the program, within the American Indian and Indigenous Studies program, why is that so important specifically to the area where we are here, where we're located here with Cornell, the land we're on? Well, I think that common practice today is to actually uh, do a recognition of territory and here, of course, it would be a recognition of the Cayuga Nation. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'd also like to uh, point out that uh, we use the word Cayuga in, one could argue, the English language, mm -hmm. but in their own language, they refer to themselves as Guyana Goa. Mm -hmm. And so amongst the Haudenosaunee, there are also 
uh, different levels of the way in which we refer to ourselves. And so... Uh, that's interesting. So we yeah. actually are in the territory of the guy in a Goa. Okay. Um, but I think that recognition of territory is uh, something that is uh, cannot be taken lightly, and therefore uh, there needs to be um, an act of reciprocity between the mm-hmm. institution and the indigenous peoples that are being recognized. Yeah. And so I still think that here at Cornell we're working at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Cornell has supported... Uh, indigenous programming, uh, it has yet to actually uh, make indigenous uh, an acknowledgement that indigenous, uh, the the relationship to the Cuga Nation, which is part of uh, the Haudenosaunee uh, Confederacy. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Haudenosaunee are, uh, in the historic record, have been referred to as the Iroquois, the Iroquois, the uh, Confederacy of Five Nations, and now the uh, Six Nations. Mm -hmm. So there are many different archival ways that you can actually approach this. But today the people refer to themselves in our own language, which is pronounced Haudenosaunee. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there are actually six different, approximately six different spellings for that in the six different languages. And so the, the, the organization of the Haudenosaunee actually is a kind of geospatial organization with the Mohawk and the Eastern Door, mm-hmm. which, of course, historically would have been along the um, along the Hudson Valley. Yep. And then we move uh, west, and we find the Oneida, and then the Onondaga, the Central Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in Cayuga Territory. Then west of us, of course, are the Seneca, or keepers of the Western Door. And the Tuscarora, it has been suggested, are late arrivants. But recently, um, the people of the Tuscarora Nation, under the direction of uh, Vince Schifford, who is the community one of the community historians, have worked with the uh, Confederacy mm-hmm. to gain the recognition and acknowledgement that the Tuscarora were here yeah. in the Northern Territories, part of the uh, this. Uh, this uh, geopolitical space prior to the coming of the Guyanagoa, which is the great law of peace, hmm. the message of the peacemaker, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, you know, this landscape is the extraordinary backdrop of that message. Yeah. And it's a message that uh, is about a raised consciousness of struggling for and uh, trying for a higher understanding of how we live and walk about this earth. Hmm. And uh, and so that's what the Guyanagoa means. Mm-hmm. And so the Tuscarora left before the formation of the five families becoming one confederacy. And so it's, it's a complex symbolism sure. of this region. We went uh, south for a thousand years, mm-hmm. lived in North Carolina, and then we came back home after the Tuscarora Wars in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm sharing this history is because we need to know a little bit of this history to understand uh, the roots of indigenous sure. languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And currently at Cornell, we um, don't teach any indigenous languages, so that is something that I am certainly interested in, maybe working toward. I know there are a couple of initiatives, a um, couple of discussions surrounding possibly 
looking into that and, and offering that, but that would be something that I think would be fantastic specifically given this international year that we're in right now. Right. And so I was so pleased that you brought to, uh, you're bringing to the attention of this uh, community, the Year of um, Indigenous Languages, uh, as noted by the uh, Declaration of Indigenous Rights, the United mm -hmm. Nations Declaration of Indigenous Rights, is their focus this yep. year. And so uh, the... Um, yeah, in the field of Indigenous studies, uh, Indigenous languages are taught in many different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, some schools, universities, uh, rely on the relationship to community and bring today what people would call elders or knowledge mm -hmm. holders in to share the language. Uh, that's the model that I received in my own education. Okay. And so I worked with uh, Seneca uh, knowledge holders to learn the Seneca language. Um, and I mean, one can only begin to scratch the surface yeah, of this, sure. you know, and so, <laughs> and so, uh, at the time, um, I, uh, I had the, uh, speakers from the Seneca community available to, mm -hmm. to us at the University of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this of course is years ago. And so they were a very early program to realize methodologically mm -hmm. how critical language is. Yeah to the intellectual formation of a culture. Sure. And and so I was grateful that my my intellectual mentor, John Mohawk, who was also Seneca, mm -hmm. uh, an author of a wonderful book called Thinking Indian, Now Deceased, but in our language we would say John Mohawk Geha, mm -hmm. which automatically indicates that he's no longer with us. Oh, interesting. And so that's what's really interesting about the Haudenosaunee language is how specific it is mm -hmm. in terms of one's positionality. Huh. And so I'm reminded by um, uh, my daughter who worked with Howard Hill, who was one of the last fluent speakers of the Tuscarora language. Yeah. And she reminded me that whenever um, she would ask him, what does this word mean? Mm -hmm. And he would say, well, who's saying it? Hmm. Who are they saying it to? Uh, where are they? Yeah. What time of day is it? Uh, what time of year <laughs> is it? And so all of these things become qualifiers huh. yeah. in the exact idea uh -huh. or word that, you know, sh would need to be translated. So yeah. translation is not uh, a simple, you know, one-to-one -one corollary. Sure. Oh. And that's, I think, the amazing opportunity when students uh, from uh, who grew up within Romance languages mm -hmm. get to encounter languages uh, from other uh, philosophical and uh, cultural epistemines or not world uh, or knowledge systems mm -hmm. because that's, you know, uh, that's really helping, I think, uh, a, a deeper kind of communication. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is fascinating. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, are there currently other ways that... Um, learners or you know anybody who's interested in in learning more about languages or learning some languages um where they can where they can start if they don't have access to elders well uh, yes uh, it's interesting because 
within uh, Native communities today. And so the audience may recognize that I'm moving through the use of American Indian, Native American, mm-hmm. and Indigenous. Uh, and, and they all have particular historic and uh, cultural inflections. Sure. And so within uh, the academy today, most often we're using the term Indigenous because we understand the critique is global. Mm-hmm. Often when we're using the term Native American, it's signaling North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we want to talk about the Americas at large, it's helpful to use the term indigenous because it's, it has a broader reach. Sure. Um, and uh, but I have to say, John Mohoki, so I'll say, but, you know, most people still think of it as Indian. Right. Mm. So, <laughs> but uh, all of it is, of course, a reduction of uh, particular uh, uh, nation space or community names. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, there's a wide range of access. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, um, I began an uh, engaged Cornell project with a linguist that had graduated from uh, Cornell, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Kevin Conley. And uh, Kevin wrote about the Onondaga language when he was here. Okay. And the archival record is incredibly rich as it relates mm-hmm. to Haudenosaunee mm-hmm. languages mm-hmm. because... We've been anthropologized. We've been sure. studied oh, to oh, exhaustion. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's, but it's actually quite a rich resource if one uh, has a proper guide through okay. the, the archive. And so, <clears throat> and so he did uh, his dissertation while he was here at Cornell in the linguistics department. And we launched a project on uh, trying to create an app hmm. to uh, make uh, Haudenosaunee language is more accessible. Okay. To be able to construct the the, the linguistic blocks uh-huh. of these languages. And so, I mean, it's still a project that's ongoing, yeah. but in the middle of this project, his community or his nation, the Onondaga Nation, withdrew their mm. consent yeah. to teach the language to people outside of their communities. Okay. And so you have that kind of situation mm-hmm. where it's very interior. And mm-hmm. I think we can respect and understand it oh, because of, of the impact of, of extractive research and, mm-hmm. and, and coloniality. Certainly. But then you have the other side of it where you have mm-hmm. the Mohawk people and nation whose language has made an incredible resurgence, uh, who teach uh, their language at university across uh, North America. Huh. And there are enough speakers to actually uh, uh, be able to launch this kind of intense mm-hmm, Mohawk, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mohawk uh, uh, immersion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the communities, there are multiple immersion projects going on at present. Yeah. Uh, but in, uh, and, I, and, I, and so I would say, I think that uh, the axis is really in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that I know of uh, like access in uh, uh, like a, maybe there might be access that I'm not familiar with, but certainly I'm, I'm sure there is in uh, extension mm-hmm. uh, projects, sure. you sure. know, yep. but not in this region, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so. It depends on the veracity or mm-hmm. or strength of the language. Of course. And uh, it also depends on the attitude of the peoples whose language mm-hmm. it is. Yep, right? certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. 
but there are apps, right? Yeah. So that you can get like the Dene or Navajo. Uh-huh. There are apps, and uh, the Cayuga language actually has an app. Huh. And so we can uh, say hello this morning in Cayuga. Wow. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to repeat that, <laughs> but I'll be listening to it, and the next time I see you, maybe, maybe I can. And so most of the Haudenosaunee uh, greetings are asking you, like for instance in Tuscarora, it's chant eskenehe, uh-huh. and so you'll hear eskenehe. Mm-hmm. In Mohawk, it's sego. And so it's this is like the core word for peace. Hmm. Okay. And so what the greetings are consistently asking you is, are you at peace today? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and, and this is all about the context because it's mm-hmm. possible to like ask somebody individually if they're at peace. Mm-hmm. And it's really about this like sense of well-being. Yeah. Right. That's really what the greeting is about. But then there's the larger notion of peace where when we say the great law or Gayanagoa, which is the Mohawk version of mm-hmm. it, uh, that's where you see again a go the the Goa mm-hmm. in here, this, you know, this idea of uh uh sego, you know, this idea of uh 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 thinking and focused on this larger idea of peace. Yeah. And so it's um you know it's what I have found in teaching that it it's, uh, takes quite a bit of time to actually teach one concept, to teach one word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, because they're and, so complex, yeah. And that's separate from, I think, the work of structural linguists yeah. that are really trying mm-hmm. to help someone to be able to reproduce exactly the language. And so I'm interested in uh, helping students and helping uh, uh, a broader community understand the concepts in these cultures through the language. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are different... Uh, We need all of this. Sure, sure. (laughs) You know, I mean, maybe some... I mean, uh, maybe somebody might say, well, what do we really need indigenous languages for? But I think we do need uh, multiple worldviews at play in oh, the world absolutely. today. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah. I can't, yeah, especially in the world today. I can't agree more with you on that. Um, so as part of this international year, are there any specific events that your program is putting on that would tie in to kind of raise awareness and highlight this this UN International Year of Indigenous Languages? Uh, at the American Indian and Indigenous Studies Program, uh, we actually are working with the RAPI Center, collaborating with the RAPI Center, and uh, graduate student uh, Bruno uh, Sapier is uh, working, uh, is the lead sort of person from mm-hmm. the RAPI Center, but he's also a minor in American Indian Indigenous Studies, but I think he's located in anthropology as well. You know how <laughs> you know how these students here have like multiple yes, multiple yes. locations. Um, but uh, we're actually uh, focused on the Guyanagoa and the uh, this broader notion of peace mm-hmm. at this period of time. Mm-hmm. And we are bringing in uh, several speakers to be able to address uh, this question. Uh, 
Kenneth Deer, who was on the standing committee of the uh, uh, external relations for the Haudenosaunee, uh, who is doing work on the doctrine of discovery, uh, is seeking audience uh, with the Pope to mm. rescind the papal bulls, which, of course, are the underpinnings of uh, coloniality today. Yep. Uh, but he's also done some really interesting work along the border, the southern border, uh, about raising consciousness that many of the people that are uh, migrating north are indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what does that mean in, yeah. in the Americas, you know, mm -hmm. where their rights uh, precede the contemporary boundaries that are established by nation states that yeah. are actually quite young compared to the longevity of indigenous peoples in, on this land, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and this is, of course, based on uh, the model of the Haudenosaunee because our territories extend in New York State, uh, Ontario, Quebec, uh, actually uh, a group out in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and a smaller group in uh, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And so our people have to negotiate an international border every day mm -hmm. just to maintain uh, family yeah. relationships. Yeah. And so we're vigilant about our right to move freely in our own homelands. Yeah, absolutely. And so we think that right should be extended to other indigenous mm -hmm. peoples that mm -hmm. have been impacted by the border. So, so, you know, the discussion is informed by the like the deeper philosophical understanding of Guyana Goa, which we are lucky that uh, a solicitor from Canada who is also mm. Onondaga, his name is Paul Williams, will also be joining us. He's recently published a book. This is, I think, um, uh, going to be a... Tra it is a an amazing thing that he's been able to pull together these like really serious reflections mm -hmm. on the great law or Gynagoa, and, uh, and, and so this will be a centerpiece or a core of how we're going to uh, look at this relationship, because it's all interconnected. Of course, of course, yeah. But uh, through a class that I'm teaching called Indigenous Ingenuities, we have a number of speakers that are coming mm -hmm. through that uh, are all doing this work in mm -hmm. some way. So we have, you know, part of the ambition of the class is to actually help students to realize, uh, you know, as an academic, yes, my subjectivity is located in my Tuscarora heritage, mm -hmm. but it's important for them to hear from title holders, mm -hmm. to hear from clan mothers, to yeah. hear from uh, people that are practitioners of ceremony, people mm -hmm. that are the authors of, uh, you know, indigenous media and yeah. press and artisans so that they complicate their understanding of what indigenous space is instead of this kind of like really reduced, you know, tomahawk chop, chop kind of attitude mm -hmm. that we see prevailing today yeah. in society. Sure. So, you know, this is a, an opportunity to, to think through, think this through. Mm -hmm. This is wonderful. This is Fantastic work that you do. Well, thank you. I'm <laughs> glad you think so. <laughs> well, I, I think it's wonderful, you know, that you get to 
do this work too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find out more? You said that there are some speakers. Um, if those are open to the public, yes. is there a website that we can direct our listeners to? Yes. Uh, just look for the American Indian and Indigenous Studies Program. Okay. Uh, A-I-I-S-P at Cornell. And uh, it'll pop up. And okay. You'll be able mm-hmm. to check out... Uh, what are uh, you know what we're do what mm-hmm. we're working on? Fantastic, right? Great. But I, you know, I do think that um, we're just a a tiny uh, little effort in a mm-hmm. much in a in a much broader effort. I think to recenter uh, indigenous knowledge within mm-hmm. our communities mm-hmm. and language is the key component of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, and whatever we can do here to help support that, right? You right. Know, we will certainly work on that. Well, I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that the UN declared this year mm-hmm. the year mm-hmm. of Indigenous languages. In fact, what I was surprised it didn't happen sooner. Oh, okay. Because I do see this as a central uh, tenant in the ongoing formation yeah. of Indigenous knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we will provide a link to uh, your program and also to the um, general website for this international year um, on our on our website. So if people are interested in finding out more about the events that are going on on a national level, um, you can certainly look for information there. Um, the website is iyil2019.org, but again, that will be linked along with uh, the link to your program. Jolene, thank you so much for coming today, for sharing all this information, and for getting this conversation started here. Right. Well, thank you. I I have to say that I've been very in, uh, inspired in my own work, which is looking at Indigenous art internationally. Mm-hmm. And when... You go to Aotearoa or New Zealand and you walk into their airport, you begin to realize that it's a bilingual space. And so uh, the richness of that, of understanding and having to negotiate uh, their worldview, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And I just think that the Americas, in particular North America, with over hundreds of indigenous mm-hmm. communities in North America, that it would totally transform the landscape of North America if every place that you went in the Americas or in North America, you were able to like really get a sense mm-hmm. of what the deep history yeah. of that place is about. And it's actually uh, through place-based knowledge that, language can help us to really understand the deep history of those places. Yeah. And I just think that we're at that point. It's like we're, we are at a point where we need to raise our consciousness about the environment, Mm -hmm. our relationship to each other as human beings. And here are uh, peoples who've been in this part of the world for millennia Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who have carefully named different places in this part of the world. And it would be a wonderful project to think about what if everybody in North America knew at least one indigenous word huh. for the, the name place where they're living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just think how transformative that could be. Yeah. 
you know, and I do think from a platform like Cornell, we could actually inspire something like that. Thank you so much for well, being on the podcast we today. We would say Nyawa, and, and the Mohawks would say Nyawa na Goa. Okay. So. Well, I can say Danke. Okay. <laughs> danke schön. Um, next week, Dr. Michelle Cox, the director of Cornell's English Language Support Office, will join us. Tune in to hear more about the programs they offer to support, empower, and engage international graduate and professional students on our campus and in the community. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupowitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupwitz. Original music by Sam Lupwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.